1859, the world was a lot different than it is today, to say the least. Uh, today we have a lot of things that, uh, that, that can catch our attention, that can, that can entertain us, that can kind of be, frankly, just good things to waste our time on, right? Um, Netflix, video games, social media, you, you name it, we have it. As opposed to 1859. Um, I remember, uh, actually, on, on note, I remember when I was a kid, I, like, I had a PlayStation 2, um, and I got, like, the new Madden football, NFL football game, and I remember playing it. My grandfather walks in the house when I was playing it, and he looks at me and says, I didn't think they would be playing football on a Tuesday morning, because he thought it was the actual broadcast. Now, that looks so archaic compared to what we have today, Right? It's, it's unbelievable how much the graphics change and how good these machines get and everything else. But if we even rewind further back from, 2000, from the 2000s to 1859, we see that they had not very much to entertain and to kind of take their attention on things. I, I remember uh, 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 there was a story of a, of a man back in 1859. Uh, his name was Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin. He was a Frenchman. Charles Blondin was a daredevil. What Charles Blondin did was he would walk a tightrope. Well, in 1859, as a spectacle of sorts, what he did was is he decided he was going to put his craft to the ultimate test. And he was going to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Now, for us to get an idea of the scope of what this meant, 16 stories up. St. Anne Hospital is four stories tall, so four times that. 16 stories up. Just shy of a half a mile. 1,100 feet. Just shy, or a quarter mile. Just shy of a quarter mile. So 160 feet up, 1,100 feet across, going from the United States to Canada. And underneath was not a net, was not a pillow, was not a spacewalk that could try and catch him. It wasn't anything like that. It wasn't even the ground. It was hundreds of thousands of gallons of water that were rolling over sharp rocks. If he falls, not only does he die, but they probably don't even find him. And he's going to put his craft to the test. 1859, the summer of 1859, Charles Blondin, the great Blondin as he was known, walks the tightrope. The first man to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Goes to Canada and comes right back. The crowds are excited, they're oohing and on. and over the course of the summer, he would do multiple trips over his tightrope. He would walk a few times, and then he had to spice up his routine. So what did he do? Well, he did one time, he did it backwards. One time, he does it blindfolded. One time, he does it on a bicycle. One time, he does it on stilts. And the legend has it that one time, he had a portable stove of sorts, and while he walked, he cooked an omelet. The Great Blondin. On July 15th, 1859, he shows up to do his next trick. And this time, he has a wheelbarrow. 
He looks at the crowd that has gathered and he says, do you think that I can walk this tightrope with a wheelbarrow? And the crowd says, yes, absolutely. They cheer him on. Sure enough, he gets on the tightrope to Canada and back again. Then he looks at the crowd and he says, do you think that I can walk this tightrope with this wheelbarrow with a full-grown man inside of the wheelbarrow? The crowd had been seeing, they'd been astonished by him all summer. Yes, we believe that you can do it. The oohs and the ahs are still going. And then he asks, can I have a volunteer? And the crowd goes silent. See, the crowd was there for a spectacle. They were there for something that was going to entertain them. They were there for something to see something that was astonishing that they had never seen before. They were there to be wowed so they can ooh and ah. They wanted a spectacle. But they get invited to something much bigger. I think oftentimes with our faith, we can do the same thing. Jesus is a good idea. Good moral leader. Got a few good things to say. We can be oohed and ah. We can ooh and ah at the, 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 at the miracles that he does or the teachings that he gives. But is he more than just a spectacle? Do we treat him as a spectacle or do we treat him as our Savior? See, one of the things that happens, I think, in our world, I think one of the things that happens with us is oftentimes we confuse the spectacles of the world as a place we can put our trust. When our trust is first and foremost put with our Savior. What do I mean? Look at our world. There are plenty of places that are spectacles. There are plenty of places that are, that are grasping and pulling at our attention. The 24-hour news cycle is built on this. Breaking news every 30 minutes, right? Why? Because they want to draw you in. Casinos are built on this. We're going to w- let you win just enough to draw you in and suck you dry. Social media is built on this. We're going to draw you in, your attention in just enough, and then three hours later you wonder where the day went. There are a lot of things that are spectacles in our world. And sometimes we can put trust in those more than we do our Savior. The biggest difference between the two is that spectacles will stop. They will get boring. They will end. And that's what St. Paul is talking about in today's second reading. You see, when St. Paul's talking to the Corinthians, if we read that second reading, it could be kind of, it could kind of throw us off. It could kind of scare us a little bit. Whenever we hear things like, from now on, those having, those having wives act as not having them. That doesn't mean go get a divorce, okay? What he's saying to them is, is that you Corinthians, the Corinthians had a tendency to put a lot of pride in the things of this world. 
They put a lot of pride in their relationships. They had the trophy wife kind of mindset going on with the Corinthians. They had a lot of pride in what they had, the possessions that they had, the things that they had, the ways in which they might be really, really good in this world. They put a lot of stock in this world. And Paul says it at the end of the, at the, end of the, first, at the second reading. He says, for, for the world in its present form is passing away. Essentially saying, all of the things of this world that you put your trust in is passing away. The spectacles of this world, the things that we have a tendency to trust in more than God, is passing away. Now, we might have a different set of things that we put our trust in, but it's all the things of this world are still passing away. What are some of the things that we put our trust in? What are, some of the specta- what are some of the things of this world that we put our trust in sometimes more than God? Well, if COVID has taught us anything, it's taught us that things of this world are passing away. So for example, I, the biggest one, health. If I put all my stock in my health, I could be healthy today and sick tomorrow. That's passing away. Uh, it, maybe, maybe it's security, like my, my money, I, my, my 401k, my IRA, whatever it is. Like maybe it's that that I put my stock in and my trust in until the market tanks and it's passing away. Maybe it's something as ridiculous as a football team and Drew Brees is going to retire or the, the LSU is going to go 5-5 five and, five and, and it's passing away. The things of this world are passing away. Don't even get started on politics. It's passing away. So where do we put our trust? Where do we invest ourselves? Where do we put our focus and our time? In the spectacles of this world? The things that are passing? Or in our Lord? Because today in our gospel, we have Peter, James, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, two sets of brothers, the first four apostles, and they're the ones that are invited in to relationship with the Savior, not with the spectacle. They're, relate, they're invited into a relationship with the Savior, and they show us a model of how we're called to live. Now, there's something interesting. I, I really think that Jesus picks four fishermen for a reason. Um, number one, because South Louisiana is full of them and we're the best people in the world, right? Um, but, in real- but honestly, I think there's something that fishermen, that hunters, and that farmers all have in common. It does not matter if you do everything perfect. You still have to rely on something out of your control. A farmer, it does not matter if you fertilize your field perfectly, if you rotate your crops perfectly. You still have to rely on weather. And God send in the right weather for good crops. It does not matter if you have the best rod and reel or the best gun or the best spots. You still have to rely on the fish or the deer or the rabbit or whatever to come out. 
There's something out of their control. So when Jesus picks four fishermen, He picks four people who already understand their livelihood relies on God. That everything about it, no matter what they do, they can have the best of all things, but they cannot be in control, complete control of their livelihood. They know what it means to lean on God. And when Jesus calls, He reveals something. Peter's response reveals something. Because he says, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. The first thing Peter does, he drops his net. Peter drops his security. He drops the thing of this world that he knows, that he understands for the unknown. Because Peter has no idea that in in the next three chapters of the Bible that Jesus is going to start healing all kind of people, including his mother-in-law. He doesn't understand that whenever he says yes, when he drops his net, that this guy is going to revolutionize teaching and mercy. He doesn't understand that he's going to go head-to-head, face-to-face with the Pharisees and the religious elite. But Peter still trusts and recognizes that this guy has something and that he's more than just a spectacle, that he's the Savior. And he drops his net. He lets go of the things of this world, the passing things, for the good, for the better. Today, when we come to Mass... We're being invited. We have a choice in front of us. Do we come to Mass to be front row and center to another spectacle? Or we like somebody in the crowd on that, with that high wire act? Well, we want to come and see, and it's nice, and it's over there. Or are we here to say yes to an invitation from God to the Savior? Because when we come to, for a spectacle, we become a spectator. We sit back. It's over there. There's a distance. And I'm disinterested in a lot of ways from it. But when we come to meet a Savior, we receive something so much more. Our salvation. We receive something that's so much more. That's not of this passing world. Not something that's going to die away and burn away but we receive a place in heaven. And it's a lot easier to go and navigate this world when we have a focus on where we're going. And that it's not here. Today when we come, Jesus approaches us, invites us, and shows Himself to us. Are we here for the spectacle? Or are we here for a Savior?